just before we say our prayer for guidance, if you'd like to follow along with the scripture, it's in the New Testament portion of the Pew Bible on page 107. But now if you join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. And the scripture reading is John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world into the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, though thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after that he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he saith unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pat. And uh, as we were singing the servant song there, which we chose for this past, I was thinking how well those verses related to what Larry just said. We are pilgrims on a journey. We're together on this road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace you long to hear. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, way of saying, uh, of describing that the journey we are on together. Uh, you know, too often churches have a reputation for eating each other up, of uh, uh, gathering into little divisions and opposing each other. Uh, we see that in our nation. We see it in our secular life, our political life. Uh, the uh, Bible warns us to be careful about this, lest we devour each other, lest we destroy each other. 
And that's sad when that happens because our central focus as disciples of Christ on this road is to be servants to each other and servants to those we encounter along the way. And so I just wanted to take a few moments this morning and talk about what does it mean to be a servant like Jesus? What does it mean to serve with an empathetic love? Empathy uh, and sympathy are very often sort of used interchangeably, but there's a difference between an empathetic person and a sympathetic person. It's not bad to be a sympathetic person. I'm not saying one is better than the other. But if you are simply sympathetic, what that means is uh, that you have sympathy for the person, and it may mean then you walk away, or your sympathy may lead you to try to help them in some way. Sympathy very often is, uh, comes out in sympathy cards that we send, which is a good thing. Sympathy is very often saying to somebody, well, you know, I know just how you feel. I, I remember as a teenager, it really impacted me at that time to be very careful about what you say to somebody uh, in, in grieving situations. Uh, these friends of my family, they uh, had helped uh, start a little church uh, with us and uh, the Stringers. And their teenage daughter, Gaylin, she was the same age as me. Uh, she, she died. She drowned in the bathtub. She had a, a seizure. And... Um, I remember some, some folks came. We were all gathered at their house, and people were coming by. And some folks came, and they said to the stringers, they said, we know just how you feel. Our neighbor just lost their child. And I remember Charlie Stringer looking. He was an outspoken person. And he said, I appreciate it, but I doubt you know just how we feel. We have to be very careful sometimes in assuming we know the depth of feelings, that we know the depth of someone, uh, what their struggle is when they're, when they're going through depression. Uh, the, the, the bipolar homeless person, so many of our homeless people and people who come to the community center, they have some deep problems, and we judge them very quickly. And we might have some sympathy, some level of sympathy for them but we're really not willing to walk the road with them. And the greatest uh, difference, I think, between empathy and sympathy can be said in the saying, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Walk a mile in their shoes. That's empathy, when you're willing not only to say um, and, and to even feel some level of sympathy for somebody, but when you're willing to say, how about if I take your burden for a while? Jesus said that. Uh, you know, that he wants to take our burden of our sins. When he goes to the cross, he takes that burden upon himself and he bears it. Uh, That's empathy. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Now, a lot of us, we would say, well, Jesus calls us to love one another. Uh, He says to love God with everything you have. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. But you know, right there, that's empathetic love. He's not calling us to a love where we express it or just an emotional level uh, of feeling that, uh, that we uh, really want to be with this person, that kind of love. But he says to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that's empathetic love. It says that, that I want to love you in the same way I want to be loved. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know the struggles you're going through. I want to identify with you, and I want to be there with you. 
You know, uh, too often pastors, I think we feel the pressure to say things in moments when people are in need, in times when they're mourning. And that can be a terrible, terrible thing because sometimes we talk too much. And sometimes words can ring hollow. Uh, I remember the story a pastor told about when he was uh, first in ministry uh, and he was in seminary. He's a young pastor. He's finishing his seminary work and he's driving a bus to support himself. So he's driving this school bus and there's this little girl on the school bus. And, uh, and, and this girl uh, very often uh, wouldn't want to get off the bus. Her home life apparently was terrible. But he'd always, uh, he'd always say, but you got to get off. You got to get off. And he never took the time really to, to try to find out what was going on in that little girl's life. Why was it she didn't want to get off the bus? And one day the little girl said, would you come home with me? My mom is pretty. And, he's, and his response was, well, I'm already married and I, I have a beautiful wife. But that wasn't what the little girl was getting at. The little girl was saying, I want somebody to go home with me. I want to feel safe. And saying my mom is pretty was her way of saying, trying to entice him to say, come on, she's a nice person. Come on, it's not as bad as you might fear. He, she's trying to influence him to come. So, but he never went. And then one day, and this is a true story, by the way. It's in, it's in the account of a book, a, a, a biography, an autobiography by a pastor. He said one day he heard that a little child had been hit by a car and killed. And he found out it was this little girl. And so being a pastor, he thought, well, I should at least go to the funeral home and give my condolences, my sympathies to the family. And he said, and I got there, and I began to say to them what a wonderful little girl she was, but I broke down crying. I felt horrible. I had not said those words I had practiced, that I had figured out, those perfect words. But instead, I, I stood there like a blubbering fool, crying as they cried. And I couldn't do anything more. And I left. He said, sometime later I ran into the mom. And she said, you know that night at the funeral home? And he said, oh boy. (laughs) What's she going to say? And she said, nothing has gotten me through the last few weeks more than remembering the way you cried with us. You see, he internalized He took upon himself their grief, and they saw that. When I was, uh, I would say a young pastor, but I became a pastor fairly old in my early 40s. But when I was first a pastor, one of my first uh, two funerals happened the same day. Uh, One in the morning and one in the afternoon. The first one was for a young mother who was uh, part of our congregation. She had been going up to the courthouse uh, pizza place to pick up a pizza for her children when she was in a car accident, and she died. It was a horrible accident, horrible accident. The second funeral 
that afternoon was for the woman who was in the other car, the woman who was at fault. And so I had to do both of those funerals the same day. I remember there was an old Baptist pastor, and he was there, and he came up to me, and he knew I was fairly new to this. And he said, just remember, you've got to be the rock. You've got to hold it together. And something about that bothered me. Because I remember when Jesus uh, encountered the death of his friend Lazarus, what does the Bible tell us in the Gospel of John? Jesus wept. I remembered how much it meant to me when others obviously shared my grief and expressed it in tears or in sincere words. Or my, my uh, cousin from Louisiana, who's a Southern Methodist pastor. Southern Methodists are very conservative folks. And David was up for my mom's funeral. And uh, I lived on the farm at that time. And after my mom died, I did a kind of a peculiar thing, but I realized later it was probably sort of a natural thing. I escaped. I went out into the tool shed. It was a massive tool shed. Billions and billions of loose screws everywhere. And I just stood out there and began to sort. Just sort. I was out there for hours. My cousin arrived from Shreveport. And he came out. And he didn't say anything. He just came over. And he started sorting. And we stood there for the longest time. And later on... When he was leaving, I thanked him. I said, you know how much it meant to me to have you by my side out there just sorting? And he said, I just wanted to be with you. I just wanted to somehow share in what you were feeling. That's the love of Jesus, folks. Now, we can do all kinds of great ministries to help people, but do it impersonally. Do it across a table from them, separating ourselves from them, feeling good about ourselves for having enough sympathy to help these folks. But let me tell you, it's a whole different thing when you do what Jesus did and you leave the glory of heaven and you come down and you experience the lives of human beings. Think of it, God incarnate in the perfect place and he comes down to become God in the flesh, God incarnate for us. That's an amazing thing. Have you really ever been in an experience where you're encountering somebody who needs help and it's uncomfortable? Where you feel, I'd rather be any place but here right now? Back uh, some years ago, many years ago, I was probably in my mid-20s. And there was a homeless shelter on D Street in D.C. You could see the Capitol building for, from it. Mitch Snyder and his little community of folks had lobbied Congress, and finally President Reagan had given them the permission to occupy this building on D Street, this old office building, and turn it into a homeless shelter. And I'd become friends with Mitch and uh, did some things professionally for this group uh, in terms of printing and, and, and a book that they published. And so I, one day I decide, you know, I'm going to go up there and spend a the night in the shelter. 
I'm going to try and be Jesus and go and experience what that's like. Let me tell you, it was the worst night of my life. Now, these are D.C. homeless. These are hardened homeless. And we slept not in separate rooms with beds like some homeless shelters have nice accommodations, but on cots, just right up one against the other. So during the night, it was pretty common. You might feel somebody's arm come over you. And you know what I did? I, I took my wallet. I took all my stuff. I took my watch. I took everything. And I put it underneath me, and I slept on top of it. I was so afraid that I was going to be robbed. And I couldn't sleep at all the whole night. And I could stand up here and tell you I know what it is to love like Jesus loves. I could tell you that I've got it all down pat. But I remember, and I don't think I'm a whole lot different from that person. And I thought about Mitch Snyder. Mitch would go out on the street and sleep every night with these folks. He didn't have to. He'd sleep out in the winter with them, giving himself no more shelter than they had. And his heart was fully owned by the homeless community of D.C. And I know that's a big leap for most of us, maybe for all of us here. It was a big leap for me. And I kind of went back home and said, no, I think I'd rather help from a distance. No more shelters for me. When we look at what Jesus did, the scriptures, I was a little bit overwhelmed by the ever-flowing theme in scripture of how we are to be empathetic lovers, people who walk in the other person's shoes, people who let someone else's burden become our burden, who will let their pain occupy our hearts. Hebrews 2.17 says this about Jesus. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make a propitiation for the sins of the people, to pay the price for our sins. Isaiah 63 foretold this about Jesus. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Matthew 8 says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities upon himself and carried away our diseases. Matthew 9, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And I could go on. There's pages and pages more of instances in the New Testament, not only that tell us about this empathetic love that Jesus had for us, but also that calls us to bear one another's burdens, to seek the good of the other, to be Jesus to each other. Do you know that in, in those uh, olden days, when Jesus came into this world, that there was no religion that we know of that talked about a God who is an empathetic God, a God who wanted to relate 
to our needs, who wanted to relate to our pain and our grief. In fact, if you read carefully the the Greek uh, mythology, the Roman mythology, the gods of these cultures, they believed just the opposite, that the gods were so different from humanity that there was no way that they could do that, that they could come and live a human life. They were just different. But I thank God that we have a God who understands, who loves us, not just because he created us, but loves us because his heart is with us, who says, I will share my spirit with you. That's a God I want to believe in. That's a God I want to shape my heart. That's a God I want to reprimand me when I become callous, uh, when I no longer uh, have the strength to be what I'm supposed to be, and I don't call on him to give me that strength. I want a God who's going to shape me into a pastor, into a Christian, into a husband, to a father, who will walk in the steps of Jesus and feel what Jesus felt and not make excuses. I pray we will be that kind of church. A lot of churches, we uh, got into the whole thing of slogans and mottos and vision statements and all some years back. And a lot of them are great. But unfortunately, most of us pastors and most church leaders acknowledge we don't really live out what we say we're going to. Are we really a place where people can belong and to become, to become what God meant for them to become? To become empathetic lovers of the world and to sacrifice for the good of others. When we go to the Lord's table, as we are doing now, ultimately, if we are to understand what it means to serve as Jesus serves, we have to come to this table. We, say, we see that he gave everything for us as very life for us. This isn't simply a place of ritual, and it is, isn't simply a place of liturgy and habit, but it is a place where the scriptures tell us we can encounter Jesus. We can feel his real presence with us and ask Jesus to not just forgive us, but to empower us to live as he lived. Let's, uh, let's pray. Holy Father, as we leave this place, we know that you are everywhere. And because you are everywhere, because you are holy, everywhere is holy. Father, every piece of earth that we walk upon, every person we encounter, Father, you have a purpose behind it. We pray that we would open our eyes, that we might see the people around us and see their needs. And Father, that we would come alongside them, that we would cry with them, encourage them, that Father, we would take upon ourselves the duty and the responsibility of caring for each other, just as Christ has cared for us and died for us upon that cross. Father, may we truly be disciples who walk in his holy way as we go forth this morning. In his name, and amen.